0: for the first time in and
1: uh... receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was, the early twenty
0: first century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, Accessed entry 958jb eight two six certificate number four nine three nine four Point Nemo. Now, if you won't die for Dan, I can order it for you. Have it in a couple of weeks.
1: Well, I hate this place. A uh, geographical oddity. Two weeks from everywhere.
0: Is there a, is this a tennis
1: score? Yes. Point Nemo. Yeah. Nemo's a Romanian tennis <laughs> star in this scenario. <laughs> Is there a point in your life? Yes, Point Nemo. A Point Nemo. Is there a Point Nemo in your life? Yes. Where you're talking to a to a wasted surfer turtle uh-huh. and, uh, and, a, and and a forgetful a, uh, blue tang, a limping fish eyes. <laughs> no, a uh, like what point in your life did you feel the most isolated? Like not emotionally. Like not not right now. Talking to me. <laughs> But like was there a point when you just felt like the furthest ge- away
0: geographically alone
1: like physically far from the
0: madden crowd? Well, probably the furthest I've been from the nearest human was in Alaska. Oh sure. Um like up in uh, in the area around Denali National Park, although not in the par- in the park, but out just outside the park. But I was with a friend, so the two of us were as alone as you could be. Still. I mean, because in in that scenario, you do want to be with another person. Yeah. uh, But we were, you know, we were in a place where if we had needed help, we would have had to have snowshoed 10 kilometers to a radio. Does it feel different? Just that knowledge? Yeah. That there's no grid? I mean, when you're 20, it's amazing. When you're fifty, I wonder if it would feel different. Because so twenty year olds do not have the neurons
1: required to think. If I twisted my ankle, could I get back on that trail? What time does it get dark this time of year? You know all the things that. Yeah, that but normal also, surviving people think of
0: at twenty. You think, and the thing was, I went into a, I went into the Tulquena River, uh, because my kayak overturned mm. and I lost my glasses, and we had to. You know, not just getting to shore, but uh, then getting me warm required that we throw everything we owned into a fire we hastily built uh, just to get me to stop shivering. That's a genuine
1: survival scenario.
0: And that felt like just another day in paradise, you know, we're it's 20. <laughs> it's Alaska, baby. <laughs> hey, that was hot, you know, like, oh, I'm warm now. What do we do next? But
1: you're, you're framing it as like a, you know, a matter of character. And I literally think it's like neurons not
0: connecting yet. Oh, it absolutely <laughs> like was. Like
1: your brain is not ready for prime time if you're like,
0: hey, you know, we did it. Have a, you know, toss me a course. My glasses went down river and for the next month I couldn't see um, at all, but I was just you know, you just adjust uh, to that. And, oh, you know, and we were in the... And you know, some bear is like <laughs> wearing, wearing glasses and having the opposite problem. I'm like, sweetheart, where did you come from? I didn't know you were up here. <laughs> uh, but I think the furthest I was alone from other people was probably in the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, but that... I couldn't believe you went to Alaska first and yeah, not the I Balkans. Know. Yeah, the Balkans next. but uh, But, you know... I'm still in Europe at that point, so sure.
1: you're not that far. There's probably like a, a train station with service every eight minutes, like <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> like six miles away. But definitely twenty kilometers from a place. Yeah, but but in, up in Denali, yeah, there's no there was no place. I guess I guess come to think of it, you could have walked to the to the um, the railroad. You could have walked, and because in, in the Alaska Railroad will stop if you flag it down because that's a, not an uncommon thing i I'm, I'm guessing no there's there are there are whole communities not communities but there are there are people on the regular there's a regular stretch of the train where where it's a regular thing oh you just that's how you hop on you, yeah you flag the train down and it will stop and you give them enough you know they know yeah. the distance
1: this is not somebody who's lost this is just somebody who that's how they get like, to hey
0: you know but they don't they don't do it every how week get to right town. they come out they come out twice sure, a year sure when the snow melts so we could have gotten there but it again it would have been a long walk and you're just waiting for the train whenever it comes.
1: I've never really, you know, I enjoy being in the forest and I enjoy being away from the city lights at night, but you know, it's always pretty well trodden hiking and camping scenarios. Like, I don't know if I've ever had that realization that, yeah, if I, if I twist my ankle going down this mountain, like what even happens?
0: Have you pulled off the road in, you know, way out Utah or, or, Nevada or something and and turned off the car in the middle of the night and gotten out yeah where where you can see by moonlight to the horizon and there's nothing but even you, but yeah. you have
1: a car you, yeah you have a car and it's the interstate at night you might not see anybody I've, i don't know if i've ever really done it on a back road but uh yeah you do get the sense of aloneness but never like the i was reading i kind of went down a rabbit hole reading about this is actually for a recent um, Adenda show for Patreon. I was reading about a, a kind of amateur amateur search and rescue guys in Death Valley. and this is some guy where this is pretty much his life, the thrill of the chase and even he gets to some part you know in, in search of these lost tourists, he gets to some part of Death Valley where he kind of realizes I have never felt this remote in my life. if something were to happen to my water supply here, I don't have a right. backup plan right and you know he's you know in a car, He's a few minutes from a ranger station or whatever, but but on foot, he suddenly realizes it's just me out here against everything.
0: There's a kind of um, <clears throat> like a I don't know a mania that I've seen a couple of times, and I felt when you're out um, that remotely where you you get energized by it. Um, you just want to head out, <clears throat> yeah. And and in fact, one of these times, because we would, when we were on tour, you know, we would already be on a back road, it'd be the middle of the night, and I would turn off the headlights sometimes, because the moon would be out. Yeah. And a lot of the time, I'd be driving and everybody would be asleep. And a couple of times then, from one of those roads, I would pull off on a dirt road and drive and drive and drive and drive until we were far, far away. And one of those, and then I'd wake everybody up. And one of those times, we were all standing out there in that. It's like a lunar landscape, and especially because it's dark and the moon. And Nevada looks like the moon anyway, so that's why they they shot it there. And one of the guys in my band, the keyboard player at the time, Chris, said, leave me here. (laughs) It was the end of a tour. We were headed back to Seattle, but we had two more days of driving just to get home. And he was like, leave me here. I want to walk home. And I said, no, I can't leave you here. He was like, no, I insist, like, this is what I want. This is what I want. I want to, I want you to leave me here and I want to walk home. And are you saying no, not on the basis of you're not making a good decision, but really on the basis of this would not be safe? Both. Both. Like whatever, whatever is happening to you right now, whatever is going through your mind, like I'm familiar with a few different kinds of mania and I recognize that this is a bad decision, (laughs) but also like, I don't, I'm not going to get back to Seattle and explain to your girlfriend that I left you in He's probably nowhere, still. And he, and he, of all the people I knew at the time, he had the the internal resources to survive it. But no, I mean, I know it looks like you could just go from here to there, but do you, I mean, that's a long way away, and there's nothing between here and there, and you have nothing.
1: What's the explanation for that? Just lure of the horizon. I mean, I don't know. I guess but it it's propagates strong. the species. There's there's probably an evolutionary. Uh, you know, at some point there's too many people in the village and somebody's got to go see the resources over there.
0: Yeah. I was explaining to my daughter that in most cultures at a certain point, a certain number of the non-conforming young men get sent out.
1: Because otherwise they, you get too many of them knocking heads and they make trouble.
0: Right. Get out, you know, and keep moving. And so I mean, of all the people I knew at the time, Chris was the non-conforming young man that we would have kicked out (laughs) and told to go to the horizon. So he had it baked in. And did it work? Is he currently running a sex cult in Eastern Oregon or something? Yeah, basically he is in Oregon. I'm not, I can't attest to the sex cult cuz he made you sign a thing. Well, I don't. He's he's <laughs> living on a he's, he's living uh uh where there's no radios, so yeah. I can't contact him. Wow. So yeah. even
1: though you brought him back, he just turned around and left again. Turned around and went right back. You can take the the boy out of uh Burns Oregon, but you can't take Burns Oregon out of the boy. But you've been to Antarctica. That's true. And that's certainly
0: isolation. Do you have um do you feel that in yourself a desire to be? I mean, we all kind of uh, toy with the fantasy of like, I just want to get away. But did, do you ever want to go to the horizon? I mean, Mindy wouldn't be there to tell you how to live. Uh, and that's the idea is that I would
1: be missing that, or that I would be no, craving you, the getaway. Yeah, that. You,
0: well, no, that you would be you would be helpless without it. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> that's that's more correct than. Uh, <laughs> She can finally finish Great British Bake like, Off. Where whatever. are my
0: reading glasses? Mindy? Oh, <laughs> oh, there's no Mindy here.
1: I feel like the appeal for me would just be like, you know, the sights and sounds. It's more of a sensory and possibly even like kind of an acquisitive, like a collector's impulse. Like, I've got to see this that I've never seen. I got to see this before it's gone. But I guess the history of human exploration is very much somebody. Oh, you know what I do have is... Like on a hike or a walk, and my kids will attest to this because it drives them bananas. I'll be like, oh, but we, it looks like if we just get just get over that next rise, there's something new to see. Or, well, what's around this corner? You know, like you're always kind of drawn by, what if I missed the thing around the next bend? And I guess that's kind of the lure of the horizon. Yeah. You know, what's, yeah. what's the next vista? What's the next landscape? But it's never like I need to get further away from something. Are you are you a hiker that's fooled by false horizons? Yeah, I mean, uh, endlessly, or, or like, like that, false summits. That looks like that might be the top. <laughs> hey, look,
0: you can see the light through the trees, and then it's like and nope. A, and
1: even when you get to a real <laughs> summit, you're like, hey, look at that summit over there. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. that one seems pretty, that one might even be taller for sure. Is that a cabin over there? And so I'm susceptible to that. Who would, who would you say this is a Guinness Book certified, so it must be true? Who would you say is the most isolated human being in history? Is it livingston bill cosby right now (laughs) livingston (laughs)
0: uh would it be someone in siberia you can get you can do better than siberia actually
1: this has to be somebody who is uh i think by guinness's math no 2200 was was 2200 miles away from any other beating heart
0: a ship shipwreck somebody shipwrecked in the pitcairn islands further Oh, well, it would be uh, it would be Neil Armstrong. It's
1: space, yeah. Yeah, Michael Collins, when he stayed in the command module oh. Apollo 11, he was famously the loneliest man, you know, because right. the press loved the idea that he's just up there all alone. Right. And if you interview Collins, he's not romantic at all. He was like, no, there were some white mice I was tending to. <laughs> it was actually very restful. I mean, all these guys were fighter pilots. They they don't care about like being
0: alone in a, in a (laughs) box. No, the guys at mission control were shocking me the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what they loved,
1: I guess to a man, all the command module guys say they loved the backside of the moon because then Houston left them alone. Oh, sure. Like they didn't even have radio contact. You know, they were just like, finally they could just get four hours of sleep, (laughs) chill and sleep and do the wordle. Um, Michael Collins is not the most isolated human being because, uh, his record was beaten on Apollo 15 uh, in uh, summer of 1971. Al Warden stayed in the command module, and I guess because of the particular oh. choice of landing sites.
0: He was further away. He was
1: further away, 2,200 miles away. For And that was like the first J-length mission or whatever, so it was like a full three-day thing, you know, more moonwalks than—you know, because Neil and Buzz were there for like— 8 minutes or you know they, they had a very brief stay no longer i mean <laughs> yeah. they you know it was, it was hours cuz they landed and took and they were supposed to take a nap you know they they had time to right
0: but rest they didn't uh, they didn't uh, like unfold the little car and drive around visit all the moon men
1: yeah they didn't have
0: the little car <laughs> <laughs> although i thought you were going to say no 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 the the furthest person actually was A Soviet guy that missed the moon. (laughs) Yeah, he's still there. And uh, as long as they could record his beating heart, he was still alive. We don't know.
1: Is it the two naked people in the Voyager probe? Like, we thought they were just a drawing, but that was actually Carl Sagan just shot two naked people into space. uh, Just to see what happened. The the Al Warden's actually kind of a sad story. This should probably be its own omnibus. Do you remember the stamp collecting fiasco related to the Apollo
0: missions? Oh God! Vaguely, what is it?
1: The crew of Apollo fifteen had been approached by a couple of different philateliers. Oh, they carried like, stamps. Like take these, yeah, take these postal covers, like sta- like stamped envelopes into right. into the moon, because then you know stamp collectors will go nuts for stamps that have been on the moon. Like, well, I mean, they'll go nuts for stamps that haven't been on the moon. Sure, they'll go nuts for stamps stamps for the, that have Oprah on them. The red ink is a little out of alignment or whatever. So, uh, and these guys agreed. And I don't think it like violated any rules at the time. And maybe Deke Slayton even passed off. I can't remember. But they got back, and it, they were supposed to hold off. It was just, you know, astronauts weren't that well paid. It was like a legacy for their retirement. And instead, they, at least in Al's case, he gave the postal covers to some collector immediately, and the guy started reselling them. And it led to headlines and yeah, congressional hearings. Gross. and Yeah, and even though no rules were broken, just the idea that this is some starry-eyed new frontier and... We're already selling merch. Uh, the, did, our, our steely-eyed missile men are selling merch to West German stamp collectors.
0: I never thought about this, but did those guys fill their pockets with moon rocks? I mean, there's n- there's hardly a thing more valuable than a moon rock. I think there were pretty strict weight
1: limits. So yeah, they did bring back stuff, but they brought back the exact mass and volume they were ordered to. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know what the margin of error there is. but There's hardly
0: anything to... Bring back from the moon besides moon What rocks. else would you think you would find there? I think a really hilarious Arrowheads? thing would bring be to bring the flag that Neil Armstrong planted <laughs> back, <laughs> like wrapped in your jacket. There's <laughs> only one of these. <laughs> to sell <laughs> to a West German stamp collector. Maybe
1: you could. It probably had a collapsible pole. Maybe I you sure could did. smuggle that aboard. Yeah. You know, like there was the guy that smuggled aboard the pastrami sandwich or
0: whatever. And when, when the next... People came to the moon. They'd be like, "Wasn't there a like a really iconic flag here?" <laughs> I <laughs> swear it was right here, like the the car is there. <laughs> Honey, we
1: parked right there. There's the little car. <laughs> Warden actually got kind of drummed out of NASA Aww. for his stamp hijinks. Which I guess is, I see. Which is crazy. I mean, he he real he's an Air Force guy who now realizes that the the whiff of scandal means his Air Force promotion career is effectively over, and. You know, NASA, Deke Slayton won't fly him anymore. So he kind of had to find his own way. And I guess he did find some sympathetic administrator at NASA and landed somewhere. Yeah. But. Well,
0: and what you do is go get a job at
1: Blackwater with Dick Cheney, right? (laughs) Do they hire astronauts? (laughs) I'm sure. Are you kidding? All those places want to hire astronauts. But there were days where he was 22 miles away from another human being, which is, you know, now that we've forgotten his stamp misdeeds, his philateletic misdeeds. It that's seems his claim
0: 22 to miles would not be that hard to achieve. 2,200 miles? Oh, 2,200 miles. T- 20, he was 22 <laughs> miles I feel like from any other human. 22 miles? I've been 22 miles. But the
1: thing about, you know, Earth is big enough that, you know, 2,200 miles is uh, I mean, that's not beyond the realm of possibility for how far you could be away from civilization
0: on Earth. It's a little more, but not that much, as we will see. Um, it's the width of the United States plus, uh, minus several hundred miles. Sure. Right? How, how wide is the U.S.? 3,000 3, miles? 3,000,
1: yeah. So let's say everybody today from west of the Mississippi just all headed to Columbus, Ohio for— um, you know, I don't know, Dave Matthews concert. Do it.
0: Everybody do it. Let's start right now. If you're listening right now. (laughs) But you and I are like, we're not going to do it. Not going to do it. I don't need to see Dave Matthews. No, and also Seattle will be empty finally.
1: Yes, and then we would kind of have the apocalypse. And we'd be, you know, if we could arrange for all the Canadians to do it and all the ships at sea to kind of head towards Japan a bit. I guess Hawaii is probably right around that, right? Yeah. 2,200 miles to Hawaii?
0: You know, I, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I... I uh, uh, once walked from Amsterdam to Istanbul. What? Yeah, and uh, the that distance is twenty seven hundred kilometers. So it's a little under twenty two hundred. What is that? Oh, yeah, twenty seven hundred kilometers man. to miles is exciting. Uh, conversions in real time. Yeah, sixteen thousand sixteen hundred and seventy seven.
1: Interesting. Sixteen hundred and seventy miles is the exact distance that makes Point Nemo remarkable. Really? So you walked, essentially... To Point Nemo. To Point Nemo. Although, in your case, Point Nemo was Istanbul and had had nicer mosques.
0: Uh, and from now on, I'm going to say I walked from Amsterdam to Point Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a longer walk. <laughs> um,
1: this idea of... This entry today is about the most inaccessible points on Earth, given our current coastlines. And, you know, oh, we're okay. speaking to a future water world that has different geographic math here.
0: Different geodetics, sure, but the kelp beds will have become both sentient and also inhabitable by other creatures.
1: Yeah, uh, you know they're they're going to have new dry land. They're going to have floating, uh, floating coral cities and all the all the rest. It's going to be fantastic.
0: Trash gyres that become mega cities,
1: but given our current coastlines uh, in the 20th century, humanity started exhausting its exploration options. I mean. Amundsen getting to the South Pole in, what is that, 1911 or 1912 or whatever that is? It's kind of the death knell until until we invent better rocket propellants,
0: or indeed rocketry at all. At the time, was he the furthest uh, beating heart from another? Yeah. I mean, if you don't count
1: his, his expedition and his dogs. Uh, I mean, it would have been the ship he came from.
0: The, you and the uh, ship you came from.
1: <laughs> the ship you rode in on, rolled. Uh, But once the polls had been reached, you know how people are, it's like, well, what's, well, you know, all these horizon seeking guys, which again, we've said might be an evolutionary trade and not merely a, um, just restless, trend, restless, masculine (laughs) urge or a cultural trend or a, who can I enslave, uh, self-interested, uh, ambition.
0: It certainly was a cultural trend.
1: For if it's a def, it becomes a definition of its cachet and coolness,
0: yeah, but then also it it is an innate thing because why are we here why, yeah, why got, is anybody? anywhere? You got to
1: assume for some of these guys the uh, the um, cinnamon and cloves was just the pretext the pretext
0: otherwise you know. we the, otherwise the population of the Rift Valley would be six billion people, and God sco uh, Fosco da de, de, <laughs> Gama just had a fight
1: with Senora de Gama. And, he was, and like, he was like, "You know what? You know what? I'm getting really into cinnamon and cloves now. <laughs> I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes. I'll be back." <laughs> um,
0: that's a New Yorker cartoon. It's got to be.
1: Is that even a Is that even a trope anymore? It's got to be. Like, I wonder if like the number of times that joke has been told exceeds the number of dads who actually because now you couldn't use that as an excuse. It's too. It's like saying the dog ate my homework.
0: Oh, you the, to go out for a pack of cigarettes. Well, you the, know, my grandfather went out for a pack of cigarettes and hopped on a freight train and went to California. It's not, a literal did, thing that he actually said on his way out the door. Did he not know there were cigarettes closer by? I think he did. That's <laughs> part of the story. He had an inkling. <laughs> I'm going out for some California cigarettes. Once there were flags
1: in the polls, these these guys, and they were largely guys, needed... Let's a, just
0: call them guys. They
1: needed a new project.
0: These, yes, the, these guys. These sturdy guys. You know what? These guys need a new project, It's all about a, now. It's all about a project. Yeah. It's all about a project. I think we need to start referring to these guys as these guys, because there are these guys. Like Vasco da Gama could have just, like, cleaned his gutters or, like,
1: mm-hmm. put in new countertops or something. Right. Uh, built, are,
0: a, built a lean-to.
1: There are lots of—plenty of other options. And nowadays— Shortcut to India is not an option, so, you know, people have to...
0: What do these guys do? These guys now are starting militias
1: in their hometowns. Some of them. I mean, luckily, there's virtual exploration. You might think that playing Zelda is keeping a lot of these guys off the street. Oh, or Sims. Yeah, exactly.
0: No, they're building stuff in Minecraft. They've
1: got worlds to explore, but they're, you know, everything... Now that everything else is mapped, it's
0: got to be a a fictional one. What was that thing I read just the other day that there was some online kids multiverse that... A bunch of people had created sex dungeons in what, and they were the kids had or, or, no, or interlopers, interlopers. Somebody the, sneaking around in my Minecraft Nether. Yeah, people are like, wow, I need a new play, a new sex dungeon, and <laughs> in uh, the metaverse. In the metaverse, and they went into some place that was like,
1: yay, happy pink dinosaur. I guess that is the argument for banking on the metaverse. It's not just, um, it's not all blockchain Ponzi schemes, although it's ninety percent blockchain Ponzi schemes, but a lot of it is. We assume these restless young people are going to need a project in a frontier, and if there's no real ones, maybe we can sell them on this phony one
0: <laughs> in a in a helmet. Have you ever watched a um, <clears throat> one of those live space combat games where it's not it's not uh, like boo boo boo? It's more it's strategy and their and the gamers are talking to each other on headsets. I mean I'm sure Dylan plays these things, right? Like a like a a Fortnite or whatever. I don't know, but some I I was my I, kids are playing all these. I was looking over the shoulder of somebody playing one of these games where it seemed impossibly boring, but they were all super engaged in in um I don't know, it's it felt like capture the flag. I mean almost. that's one thing
1: about real exploration. It's mundane, yeah. right? It's boring. It's long days of loneliness and solving problems like where do we get fresh water next
0: but i definitely looked over this person's shoulder at all of the spaceships that were arrayed around some nebula and i kept looking over into outer space going well what's over there over there you guys what the hell are you doing don't worry about these guys like you're in space with a rocket like go show me what's (laughs) Over there. And I do think if you were, if you were that vested in an online world, you could fool that part of your, of your, your brain.
1: Yeah. I almost think it doesn't even matter if the interface is convincing or not. It doesn't, you don't have to feel the wind in your hair. If whatever the, whatever that part of your brain is, is being satisfied by the question of
0: what's over there. I wonder if that's at the drive behind entrepreneurship even. I mean, anything where anything where you get so absorbed that you're like, mom, get out of my room. It's like, I'm here, you know, I'm in a, I'm on a spaceship to somewhere. It's, it basically is, a, is a, it's a blockchain Ponzi scheme, but, but yeah, like, yeah. like if I die in this world, I die in, in the real world.
1: I don't think that's true of the blockchain. Are you sure? If you go bankrupt in the metaverse, you go bankrupt in the real world. <laughs> they, they've made sure that's true. Um, So, lacking real milestones anymore, like geographic ones like North Poles, um, you know, would-be explorers had to come up with increasingly arcane, if not arbitrary, places they could visit where nobody had.
0: There's tens of thousands of square miles of mosquito-infested muskeg in Siberia that anyone could still...
1: But what distinguishes any given fen from the one 10 miles east, you know, you... You this want to... one has 50 mosquitoes per square inch. And... <laughs> Clearly there's ego involved because you want to announce the, thi- yeah. the thing you were about to do and then the thing you did. I made it to a place that no one will ever want to be.
0: <laughs> I made it to a place that even more people wouldn't want to be.
1: You know, our mutual friend, uh, Randall Monroe, the XKCD guy, yes. spends a lot of time just exploring on Google Earth. And a lot of it is weird Siberian fens and stuff because he thinks there's there's... Imagery out here that haven't hasn't had eyeballs on it.
0: Yeah, a fantastic. Uh, well, that game where Google Earth will put you yeah. on any road, Geo-gusting. but then also just going zooming in, looking down at at um, at something only the satellite has seen. God, I spend a lot of time doing that. He too. knows I'm
1: very interested in um, places that have islands in lakes, on islands in larger lakes. There's only a on couple islands. of those. Right? Yeah, but they're all in weird polar places. You know where the where these
0: crazy yeah.
1: Networks of uh, of lakes form at the right time. of Oh, year. so he's
0: out there searching he, because he, you've given him a, a Sisyphean task. I
1: feel like he might have been on it sooner. Like I, just when I wrote my book about maps, I discovered people online that were interested in like how big the bullseye gets.
0: I can see that he would have been. I think he might be an early adopter. <laughs> an early adopter, thought leader in that. But he's
1: still. Doing, he's always sending the imagery. He's like, check out this weird. You know, he found some uh, some exactly circular igneous thing in Siberia that's not a crater or an impact uh and not volcanic it it is volcanic but it's neither a crater nor a meteor impact it's just a blister a that thing, popped a thing where la- where lava makes um or magma i guess makes uh, an exact circular ridge with, for whatever it's got to be a bubble whatever bubble. physical reason it, i don't think anything ever popped there it hmm. just it just grew like that he's always sending me weird uh, uh views from space but, that's, that's flirting, you know, <laughs> It is. he's got a girlfriend, but a lot of these places are in the, oh, maybe married, maybe they're married actually. But a lot of these places are in the far North or, or, or South, you know, these remote places. And that was true in the twenties as well. When people started to invent the ideas of what's the, now that we've been to the poles, are there even harder places than the poles to get to? And there are because of the geographical concept of what's now called poles of inaccessibility but can you push a wheelbarrow there (laughs) i mean there is that as well okay somebody's been there with a dog sled but has anybody been there on foot right has anybody you know and it started with planes then it was dog sleds now it's on foot now it's who can do it in the most inhospitable time of the
0: year with no oxygen yeah
1: who can do who can do everest without oxygen who can put on a fish concert uh in uh
0: In Burlington, Vermont. (laughs) How many fish concerts can you have in Burlington, Vermont at any one time?
1: So people realize that there is a place further from civilization, and indeed from dry land, than the North Pole. There's another pole up there, and it's close to the North Pole, but it's the place that's exactly the furthest from any other dry land. In the north? In the north, or in any
0: ocean. What is it?
1: Uh, It's called the Northern Point of Inaccessibility, and... You calculate it.
0: You can P O A.
1: Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, that's why the show is called Point Evil, because it got a fun name in the nineties. Uh, you could basically what you're doing is you're trying to. It's all triangles. You're trying to figure out what's the the center of an equilateral triangle that connects three points. In the case of the North Pole, it's going to be one point in northern Canada, one point in Greenland, and one point in Siberia somewhere, and that will inscribe. A circle, and that's like the largest circle you can make in the Arctic Ocean. And the center of that circle is the hardest place to get to, at least distance-wise. And you can show off if you say you went there, even though man has already been to the magnetic pole and the geographic pole.
0: Is it in Canada? Or is it north of Hudson's Bay? Where it's
1: in? Yeah, it's in nothing. It's 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 close enough to. The, it's in the water. I mean, it's exactly like by definition, it's exactly equidistant between. Russia, Canada and Greenland right. and it's yeah in the water or if you go in the winter presumably
0: uh it's on ice. I've never understood the geographic center of the United States because uh, it must be changed by Alaska and Hawaii, right? Or it was there's changed. there are two there's the Contiguous United yes. States and then the other United States.
1: And there's a North America one nearby.
0: And then there's the population center of the United States, which is also somewhere in and that, Iowa.
1: And that one moves Our, quite often. That one has been creeping.
0: It's in Oklahoma now or something, right?
1: Creeping northwest maybe
0: as as people move to the Sun Belt. Oh, um, I, th- I thought it was creeping southwest. It gets It's on a line that went from like Indiana to. You can
1: see it move, which is interesting. I mean, you can't sit and watch it. But on census data, you can see it move. It is now in Missouri, and Missouri. it's moving. For many years, it was moving basically west. You know, the first time we have data, it's like in it's like in Eastern Maryland. It's very close to the Delaware border.
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, you know, and over the next century, it gets to Indiana, but it's pretty much moving due west. And now it's finally, you know, in the twentieth
0: century, it started to track. South, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess the mm, it's all the people in Phoenix. They're tipping the scales. Phoenix, San Diego, and Los Angeles. Oh, of course, yeah, are I mean, outweighing. Yeah, it is yeah, yeah, exactly. Portland. The Sun Belt makes it move
1: south. The growth in Texas and Florida and Phoenix. Um, and now it's getting close to the Missouri Arkansas border. Um, but there is a
0: the heart of America,
1: <laughs> right? But that is different than the pole. The, the center of America, the place where. If you cut out America in cardboard, where it would balance on a pin, the geodetic center, that's different than the point of inaccessibility. Right. Continents have points of inaccessibility as well, but instead of being the furthest place from dry land, it's the furthest place from the coasts. Right. Where would you guess that North America's center of inaccessibility is? Would it be
0: um, Winnipeg?
1: It's a little bit further south, but yeah, you're close. It's South Dakota. Um, it's actually on, on Oglala Sioux reservation. It's just a few miles outside uh, the city of Allen, South Dakota, which in, I think the 2010 census was the most economically depressed municipality in America, you know, due to the realities of of reservation life, res life, life. uh, average per capita income in Allen, South Dakota, $1,539 per annum. Oh dear! But hard to live on.
0: No, it's one thousand dollars a year
1: in Seattle, you just can't do that anymore. <laughs> in nineteen ninety, maybe, but uh, but that's you know just in a copse of trees, just a few miles outside of town. There is a point which it turns out, if you crunch the numbers on a big computer, you are exactly one thousand thirty miles from three different oceans. It's the center of this triangle. It's uh, I assume it's James Bay, cutting down from Hudson Bay in the north. And then it's Galveston, Texas. It's the Gulf of Mexico, and on the Pacific, I bet it's right around. You know, it might be like Longview, Washington, or, yeah. or something there. You know, that might be your closest point. But the center of that triangle is uh, is a place where you could visit. And now that now that um, GPS is available to the consumer, people do hike outside of town and take a picture of them at the at the furthest, literally the middle of nowhere, the middle of middle America, the farthest you can be from an ocean. In the center of this
0: continent. I was not far from there just recently, but uh, but didn't you could have know been. enough to stop
1: the uh, the Pine Ridge Reservation has candidly tr- uh, made it into a destination. And most of these, you know, every every continent, every landmass, and every ocean has its own point of inaccessibility, and most are not marked, and most are never visited. You know, the one in Africa is right on the border between the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The Central African Republic and South Sudan. So, for various
0: lot of reasons, geopolitical and
1: (laughs) physical reasons, you know, there's not a lot of visitors there. Australia's is marked because it's, you know, the smallest continent, and there's, you know, there's dirt roads you can get nearby. Um, But uh, last year, the Lakota Sioux put up a a massive, or the Oglala Sioux put up a massive monument at the center of or at the point of inaccessibility with inscriptions about the seven virtues of Lakota life and so forth, you oh. know, in hopes of kind of drawing people to this odd, this geographic oddity.
0: When when we were down in the Four Corners area of the United States, we drove uh, kind of at sundown. We, we had, it's not a very accessible place. The, the actual Four Corners spot? And we were like, we're going to the Four Corners, you know, the sun's going down, we'll get there right at sunset. And we got there and it's actually fenced off and there's an admission charge, and I think it's because it's on a reservation, yeah, and so they had just closed the gate for, and we were like for for evening or for covid or for evening, um, we were like, but, but we just wanna you know we're here four it's s- not, four states It's not like we can come back tomorrow <laughs> but but uh, you know." We were just saying Unless. that to a sign that said closed. We weren't, oh. <laughs> there wasn't anybody there that we were arguing to. You didn't try to break in, but it did feel like, oh, right, that could be a thing that's open all night. You're, I don't know if you're only charging. Oh, we would have paid fifty bucks.
1: Someone had to think of points of inaccessibility. I think there's there's records in the in the late twenties of people talking about it in terms of the Arctic. You know, how do you get to the? What's the hardest point in the Arctic to get to? That's the new. That's the new way to get sponsors and headlines and an article in the national geographic. And so there was a Soviet plane that went over that point in, uh, it's 626 miles from land on all three sides. There was a Soviet plane that went over in 41, uh, a British explorer named, I think Wally Herbert got, got there on a dog sled in 68. But in 2013 with, you know, you know, they're just doing the math on the back of an, you know, they're just kind of using a, one of those circle drawing compasses on a, on a chart in the twenties in 2013, a, guy, a Colorado a researcher named Ted Scambos actually, I think, fed this into a computer and found out that everybody had been fully 133 miles off.
0: Oh, um,
1: busted! Given what we now know about, because you know it's very hard to say where the coastline of the Arctic is. You know, where does the where does the ice cap
0: end, um, or when you know, around 2040 <laughs> possibly? Um, I just uh, I just googled the geographic center of um, Antarctica to see what it was. Yeah are are, you, are and, you looking at what I've, I think you're looking at? Well, what I, what I'm looking at is um you know I, it was just it was just white and so I switched <laughs> over to uh, the satellite view which is also just white.
1: Well, if there's Google Street View there, there actually is something to see. Well, let me let me zoom down here.
0: I, I don't know if it's um I don't think there's street view. <laughs> <laughs> why why not? <laughs> you know, I uh, I've been trying to build a little art collection for myself um, because, you know, not only is art a wonderful thing to have around the house um, as a decorative element, but it's also, it can end up being a great investment. And for somebody like myself, the only option traditionally has been that I meet young artists at street fairs and uh, at local art schools and I buy their paintings really cheap when they're young and then hope against hope that they became, they become a new Basquiat, and then all of a sudden, I'm one of those people that bought like a Monet when he was a struggling artist. That hasn't worked for me so far. My art collection, really, right now, is mostly old Mad magazines in picture frames. But there's a new uh, there's a new concept in uh, in art ownership where like blue chip art is being offered like fractional ownership is being offered by a company called masterworks, where you can invest in an actual Picasso or a Banksy or a Basquiat at a price point that is accessible to you. So you you end up with a fractional ownership of a painting that as you've seen, surely if you follow the art market as closely as I do uh, in times of tremendous inflation in times where the economy is going off the rails, sometimes the art market is one that responds surprisingly consistently or maybe unexpectedly well. So, Masterworks, th- th- this is this is an incredible story. In October t- 2020, Masterworks sold Mona Lisa, not that Mona Lisa, but one by Banksy, for $1.5 million, but had sold it to masterworks investors the prior October for $1,039,000 netting investors a 32% net annualized return on their investment. This is a really intriguing thing. And, uh, and as somebody that, you know, that wants to build an art portfolio, but also wants to diversify my financial portfolio right now, almost all of my savings is in nuts and seeds like a lot of people my age I put a lot of money in nuts and seeds you can't go wrong when the winter comes but the idea of diversifying it into art I think is is very intriguing to me and you know it's and very tangible so if you're as interested in as I am in building an intelligent portfolio go to masterworks.art/omnibus that's masterworks dot art slash omnibus and uh and check out this like super curious and cool new way to invest and diversify your portfolio that's masterworks dot art slash
1: omnibus in 1958 the soviets in you know in one of their sorry soviets in in a burst of In a burst of uh, you know Cold War competitive pride, decided they would put a weather station at the Antarctic point of inaccessibility as it was then measured, huh. and, and this would be a sign of their you know Hardy superiority. You know, no other place on Earth more inhospitable or harder to get to than this.
0: And yet, the crew lasted exactly totally compatible with Marxism.
1: Well, yeah, and it turns out Antarctica is not compatible with Marxism. The crew lasted exactly two weeks,
0: Oh. and then
1: they realize this is just too hard to keep this place supplied. And yeah, you know, the meteorological benefit that we are giving to mankind does not justify the the harshness of the environment and the remoteness of its location. But it's still there today. I don't know if it's exactly where you're looking, but there is a still a deserted hut from from this uh, weather station, which they. Uh, I think the imaginatively called point of inaccessibility station.
0: You know, Google loves this kind of thing, uh, but they did not, they're not featuring it. And weirdly, if you go down to Antarctica on Google Earth, okay, it will not let you go over the South Pole and come around the other side. Because you know why? It'd be upside down. It'd freak you out. That's exactly it. It would be upside down. You'd be looking at, at South America upside down and it, it doesn't want you to do it. So it keeps you oriented. It keeps you in a north-centric yeah.
1: Sorry uh global south. Google Earth's keeping you down. North-centric.
0: So you can't actually like get a view on Google Earth of just the South Pole kind of
1: centered. But if you were actually there there is a deserted hut with still a bust of Lenin atop it. Awesome. Often often you know almost lost in the snowdrifts. Awesome. So that is, I guess it is compatible Thank with Marxism.
0: goodness the Germans didn't get there first and there's a hut down there with a bust of Hitler on it. Can you imagine how
1: that well, would just, how how many people would just be seething? Well, the Soviets didn't get there until 1958. So if you're putting a bust of Hitler on your weather station in 1958, you've got, you've got some problems.
0: There are some people in South America that were building huts with Hitler on the top in 58.
1: Uh, you know, going back to the Arctic one for a second. Now that Now that we have better data and we know that nobody's done it, there is this... Kind of the last of the British polar explorers is this guy named Jim McNeil, a retired scientist who has made multiple attempts to get to the Arctic point of inaccessibility. Oh, uh, and it's
0: so inaccessible that that no one's been there.
1: No one's now that we know. Now that we know we've been 130 miles off, there's no record of anyone having been to the new one. And McNeil oh. calls it the last significant place on Earth as yet unreached by mankind. He's made multiple trips. In 2003, he was stopped by flesh-eating bacteria on his ankle. That'll turn you back.
0: Huh. That seems like something he brought with him. In
1: 2006, he fell through the ice uh, on day 17, and uh, you know had to abort the expedition. But he is constantly try- He he runs this thing called the Ice Warrior Project, where he's reframing exploration as kind of a boot camp thing. you know, like you too can be a polar explorer. Um, come and you know, he, <laughs> as long as you're rich enough to not have to get a job. Well, that's the thing. He frames it as uh, what a, what a great new uh, frontier for science to teach a new generation about all that can be learned by exploring the Earth's most remote points. But really, it's a way to, I guess, entrepreneurize exploration. There you
0: go. Because that's he's what saying, we needed
1: <laughs> he's saying, "Who has twenty five thousand dollars? I'll take you to I'll take you to the North Pole," uh, and. So he calls it the last poll, which is very catchy and is always on the that lookout nice. for... A couple of years ago, he had a want ad for 28 volunteers, each with $25,000 because he's going to make a man out of you.
0: It will look great on a fleece jacket. As you know, a fleece jacket with a logo on it is what every billionaire does to commemorate their, their ego exploration. But now that they
1: can all go into space, I don't know if any of them care about a, a kind of a fairly arbitrary spot in the or an unremarkable spot at least in the Arctic Ocean.
0: I have found the pole, the Pole of Inaccessibility research station in Antarctica.
1: Is Lenin uh, above the snow today? Is but, this a live cam?
0: But I do not see that the that the uh, resolution of at least this that I'm on shows you the hut.
1: You can't see the hut much less the bust.
0: Show me the hut. What uh, so Lenin's not a Lenin's not a cam girl. Is what you're saying? Apparently not. Although I'm sure there's somebody listening who works for somebody for some organization that has higher resolution cameras.
1: We need we need an organization of dedicated young leftists to go down and blow the snow off of Lenin occasionally,
0: right? Yeah. What a kill. As long as they all have, it's the kind of leftists that we love here that all have twenty five thousand dollars to spend. (laughs) That's right. That's why you can't (laughs) tax the rich. They won't
1: go uh, snow blow Lenin. Of course, there is one place on Earth further from dry land than the center of North America, and that would be the center of Eurasia. Uh, the overall land point of inaccessibility is. And you got a guess here? The overall, yeah. Where where in Eurasia are you furthest from water, or furthest from the ocean?
0: Kazakhstan. Yes. Almost Yay! exactly
1: right. It's actually in uh, Xinjiang, China. The uh, every time I Uyghur say China. something,
0: you're like, "Yes, actually." Well, it's so close. No. It's
1: so close to the Kazakh border. Okay. it's so close to the border. I'm going to give it to you. Thank you. I'm. This is. I'm a. I'm a game show host for a living. You are. Here. I can. I can give you control of the board here. Survey says, <laughs> Kazakhstan. Ding, Ding. good answer. Good answer. There is a one of the major cities of that part of Uyghur China is called Urumqi. And based on some earlier math, they've actually erected a tourist attraction in their suburbs, being like, "This is it—the center of the center of uh, the Eurasian continent." Um, in fact, there's some controversy that all comes down to the Gulf of Ob. Oh, as it so often once does. Once again, the Gulf of Ob troublemaker. You know how the the north—if you look at the Arctic coast of Siberia on a map, it's got all these kind of gashes
0: and inlets and
1: slashes.
0: Gashes and slashes, they call it.
1: And the question is, at what point does the Obe River become a river, in which case oh, it shouldn't count against this. And it's what, a delta. At what point is that? Is that little V uh, part of the open ocean? And depending on where you count that Obe, it moves the uh, center of Eurasia pretty dramatically.
0: It is a very long fjord. Yes. And... Do you want to make
1: the call right here for the future? You want to pick a spot where you think that turns into a river? I <laughs> keep in mind the people of uh of Xinjiang province and Kazakhstan are uh
0: Well there are have two, a lot on this. <clears throat> there are two enormous lobes in the southern part of the Gulf of Ob. That's hot. The Obe lobes. Ah, oh, I love a good Obe lobe. One of them definitely feels like a river and one of them feels like a lobe, and unfortunately, the you need to
1: that, back that up with science. It's not just a vibe, John.
0: One of the, the problem is that down here at the bottom of the lobe of the Gulf of Obe, there is a river delta, and then, oh, I see. It's very complicated because they're still calling little inlets off of this Obe River. This is obviously there. There, there's some to, politics we, here. We need to dig into the <laughs> OB lobes. There's politics because that is. I don't see how you call that the Obe River, my my map-making friends. Did, I don't know. I mean, how how wide isn't how wide does an inlet have to be before? I mean, I guess you just measure the salinity.
1: Ah, you want to measure salinity, but what if that changes at different times? It has of year? to
0: every. It has to change every day, but right, at, at a current certain current. point, there's going to be an average salinity. This is a project <sighs> for someone.
1: Hmm. We need to know where the Obe River turns fresh. Enough for John
0: there, to there, drink. There are again going to be futurelings that have strong feelings about this. I know there will because there are futurelings that have strong feelings about everything. There's a town called Noviport, okay. Which and there's an airport there. Airport S Noviport. What's the three letter <laughs> designation? I'm going to fly in. And Noviport seems to me. It looks like from looking at the map there are a lot of there's a lot of fishing boats seems like maybe it's either a research station or a fishing place and i bet you asking the people of noviport what they think are, are is their yeah. town on a river or is that is their town on the ocean
1: this is the new approach why should why should scientists in a lab somewhere get to say where the ob river is yeah. it what, should be the it should be the actual people involved go to the people on the ground all right that's the project okay uh, if you have strong opinions on the O let us know. Do you think we could find some young leftists that would go snowblow the O blobs?
0: <laughs> I, I definitely. Well, now let me ask you a question: Is Puget Sound the ocean? I think for purposes like this, yes, it's the ocean. It's not a river, so yes, it's the ocean. But when I talk uh, around here about going down to the ocean, sure. Everyone yells at me because they're like it's not an ocean, it's the sound.
1: Oh, when I say when I'm around here and I say we're going to the ocean, I think you I would assume somebody means ocean shores or or seabrook or whatever that place is called.
0: But if you say let's go down let's go down to the water, let's go down to the I would say water or
1: beach for Puget Sound, but if somebody said ocean, I would assume they were getting in their they were taking a road trip.
0: But if you were standing at Richmond Beach with your toes in the water, would you say your toes were in the ocean? Maybe not, and but you
1: know what? To me, that's wave dependent. Puget Sound is so calm that it doesn't feel like your toes
0: are in the ocean. You know, it feels like my toes are in the ocean when I put my toes in the ocean because there
1: are clams, there are clams, and
0: octopuses. When
1: I was little, we had, uh, we lived in Edmonds, and you could you know you could see the we had a view of the Sound, which I'm sure today is worth a bajillion dollars. Yeah, and especially at the time, they was cut down
0: all the trees. One thousand dollars at a the year. time
1: that house. <laughs> yes, that house, Alan, South Dakota could could buy that house. Uh, and you could see the, of course you can see the Olympics across the way. And I guess my little brother told my little sister that was Japan. She was like, what's that across the water? And he was like, well, that's the ocean. You're seeing Japan. It's plausible. I think she believed it for a long time. The, uh, is it plausible though?
0: If if, if Sarah Palin can see Russia from Palmer, Alaska. (laughs) That was Tina Fey.
1: (laughs) So we are now finally... Three hours later, arriving at the su- the nominal subject of this show, Point Nemo. You know, if you've asked the question, what point on land is furthest from water? And the answer is somewhere outside Urumqi, China. The corresponding question is, what's the point on water that's furthest from land? Oh,
0: yeah, sure.
1: And you would probably guess that point to be where, John?
0: Pitcairn Island.
1: Very close, yes.
0: Oh, I'm close
1: again. Well, Pitcairn Island is, in- well, part of the Pitcairn Islands is one of the three points that defines what has come to be called Point Nemo. We did not have the uh, because of the all the different islands that dot the Pacific. You're no longer looking for the land. Case is pretty easy, you know. Yeah, coasts are lines. Where right. are those lines closest to where? Whereas in the oceans, there's a bunch of little dots. Right. And we did not have the calculate the computation, the math available to define, and also probably we didn't have the free time because we were busy <laughs> smoking cigarettes and, and raising children and starting banks to determine what point on ocean is furthest from land.
0: I am very unsure about all of the remote islands of the South Pacific. They make you nervous? Well, no, I just want to know every time I look at them on a map I go, "Okay, right, Sandwich Islands are there and the and then the these are the these are the the Marianas, the Marianas and, the and Gilbert is Islands. Til- and, the... and It's got this one over here and then this guy and then this one over here. And then as soon as I stop looking at the map, it all just turns into like, well, there's Tahiti. And then over there is New Zealand and Samoa is.
1: I have the very vaguest <laughs> idea of which ones are closer to New Zealand and which ones are closer to Hawaii. Yeah, but there, I'm the same
0: way. And there are so many islands that we know by name and they're all those World War II islands and and uh and all of the age and of po- exploration islands
1: and popular middle class destination islands right? like Fiji, and Tahiti and but, p- islands that our friends come from like Samoa or Tonga
0: but then you and then, even then you zoom in on an island that you think you understand and it's actually a part of an archipelago where there's 40 islands but only 10 of them are occupied anyway it's a it's a place of fascination to me even.
1: that's why a part of the reason why I took until 1992 whoa for a croatian canadian a survey engineer named, I'm going to massacre this, Hervogier Lucatella uh, to design a program called Hipparchus precisely for this purpose. Draw a bunch of triangles on the oceans and figure out what's the biggest circle of of water.
0: It wasn't until 1992 that you could have even had a (laughs) Croatian-Canadian. That was the first Croatian-Canadian, do you think? (laughs) The first Croatian-Canadian to... To age to adulthood. A a lot of them died as children.
1: You don't think Tesla counts as Croatian-Canadian? No. Uh, And Hipparchus actually delivered a result, which Lucatella nicknamed Point Nemo, not for the fish, who did not yet exist, but for Captain Nemo, the enigmatic submarine captain of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, not just because he's associated with the open ocean, but also because Nemo means no man in oh. Greek. Like when Odysseus uh, fools the Cyclops, the Cyclops asks Odysseus his name. Do you know this story? He's blinded the Cyclops. The Polyphemus is like, what's your name? Because that's what you do when somebody blinds you. Sure. Fair enough. At least <laughs> tell me your name, buddy.
0: Every person I've ever blinded has asked me my name and I've always given them a pseudonym.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can because the guy's blinded now. Yeah. And Odys- the same thought occurs to Odysseus. I always say
0: Michael Jackson.
1: <laughs> um,
0: Sorry, I blinded you. <laughs>
1: Odysseus says, My name is Nemo. <laughs> My name is Nemo, which means nobody. And so the Cyclops runs back to his buddies and they're like, Hey, who blinded you? And he's like, Nemo, Nemo. And they're like, Oh, okay. Lol. We're not worried. <laughs> because- oh. Oh, because it's. Yeah. Who blinded you? Nobody. Oh, okay, cool. He slipped and hit a headboard. And you'd think at that point the Cyclops would be like, no, like, let me correct you on this point. It's a person whose name is Nemo. But that doesn't occur to him. So the who's on first routine goes on long enough for Odysseus and his men to escape. Um, well
0: done, Odysseus.
1: So given the fact that Nemo means no man and, you know, Jules Verne's guy had a secret South Pacific submarine and mysterious island base, he named it Point Nemo. And really, that, that's the one that's caught on within public attention because it's got a cool It does name. have a cool name. Point Nemo is 1,670 miles, almost to within five miles the length of your walk. Oh. Away from three different islands. Uh, to the north, you've got Ducey Island, which is the furthermost extension of the Pitcairn Archipelago, where oh. the where the bounty
0: ne- years
1: ended up. I believe all three of these are uninhabited. Mo- to the northeast, you've got Motu Nui, which is the westernmost extension of the eastern island archipelago, and therefore Chile's westernmost point. Oh, Sure. And then to the south, you, got, you go all the way down to basically off the Antarctic coast and Whoa. tiny, snowy Mar
0: Island. The Antarctic coast that, again, I never think of that side of Antarctica because what is there? What's yeah, there? I mean,
1: that's why Point Nemo is here because literally nothing is there. This is the heart of the ocean. And it's pretty far south because, you know, whatever the point is, Antarctica is going to be the… Right, the bottommost
0: limit, and there's no islands down there. But it feels like the the uh, point of of geographic isolation in the north or on land somehow feels harder to get to than this. Because you're right, you have a boat and you go there.
1: Yes, a boat could directly go there, and that leads to the question: Has anyone visited Point Nemo? And I think until a couple of years ago, the answer was we think not. Um, if you think about it, that circle inscribed by those three islands is I mean, the radius is 1,670 miles. That circle's enormous. It's a circle the
0: size of North America, basically. And But none of those people sailing around the world ever thought, maybe I'll go down here and find uh, paradise, cold paradise?
1: It's possible that someone did and we don't know because they were not looking for it. Now that it's kind of become a thing and you've got these guys... You know, either Ugh,
0: these guys, either
1: rich pe- rich people on big yachts or retired people on small boats. Always now that you've got guys. them crossing the Pacific, they've got a GPS and they could easily be like, "Well, hey, let's go to forty eight degrees fifty two point six minutes south, one hundred and twenty three degrees twenty three point six minutes west." But has anyone not? done it? Yes, uh, apparently, but not until two thousand eighteen or so uh, is the first documented visit I could find, and it was a result of uh, the. Ocean Race. Are you familiar with the Volvo-sponsored Ocean Race?
0: <laughs>
1: you have to drive an XC60
0: across the ocean. <laughs> you put paddles instead of wheels. <laughs> the Ocean Race, you say?
1: Yeah, it's like an eight-month thing that gets run every three to four years on some different path every year. But it, you Is know,
0: it a circumnavigating race?
1: Essentially, yes. the The one we're going to talk about in 2018 went from Alicante, Spain, all the way, if you can imagine this, to the Hague, Netherlands,
0: <laughs>
1: but they do not take the route you or I would take if we had to go between Alicante and the Hague.
0: Oh, they, oh! I they mean, don't just go right. Away. They do
1: hop on a high <laughs> speed train. <laughs> high speed train,
0: or <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the long
1: way around. Yeah, they went. In this case, they it's always a different route. In this case, they went by there, and there are legs and stages. In this case, they went by way of Hong Kong, Auckland, and Itahai, Brazil, which is again, yeah. I want to warn the future, not the shortest route between Alicante and the Hague.
0: Are you allowed to go through the Suez Canal?
1: Let's see. How would they have done that? I mean, it's not its not a question of allowed. I but mean, I mean... You you follow... Yeah, right. I, I, did they... Follow che- around. My guess is they followed the African coast. No, they might have taken the Suez Canal. I mean, Canal.
0: what would be the point of doing it via the Suez Canal? This is supposed to be an eight-month race around the world. Of course you go around Africa, right?
1: Yes. What's the fun of it if you're not? Uh, in 2018, seven different yachts uh, spent... And I hate all of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> all these guys... <laughs> Uh, took time off from the from the um, <laughs> investment firm they founded, but you, we don't want to put down these yachtsmen too much because uh, Volvo has gone to some lengths to make this ocean race a green car. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, they made a green race. Come on. They decided there would be a uh, summit associated with the race this year about the health of the oceans and oh, the ecology ring. and so forth.
0: And then everybody everybody puts $1,500 into a pot and buys carbon offsets? <laughs> Boo. Uh,
1: so it,
0: it's a branding thing,
1: you know? Yeah, this is it. not just the idle rich in their boats. They care about
0: oh, well, the 98% health of the ocean.
1: That. No. Volvo loves the health of the ocean. So what they did was they had the boats do microplastic sampling no matter where they – at different points of the ocean. And that they, uh, while they were running their leg between Auckland, New Zealand, and Itahai, Brazil, they went
0: right by Port
1: Nemo, Point
0: Point Nemo. Now, right by it or to it? Well, if they're five hundred miles away from it, I don't care. I didn't see a photo of
1: anybody's GPS. I assume the race course goes through Point Nemo, yeah, because they had multiple. Because they want to say, hey, even at the furthest point from land, because you you've seen these headlines where it's like. Even the snow on Mount Everest now has... PCBs.
0: Has, yeah, exactly. Anthrax. Uh,
1: there's Freon in the Amazon. And what they found was there are between 9 and 26 microplastic particles per cubic meter, even oh. at Point Nemo, the furthest point on Earth from
0: land. Now, let me ask you, as a, as an avid environmentalist who is compatible with Marxism... Is that kind of information just dro- doom sc- scrolling? Is, is there anything we can do about the microplastics at Point Nemo?
1: I mean, that's it's a broader question, you know? Like, I think it's not just... Does knowing about it... It's not just policymakers, but scientists that are grappling with, like, how frank are we about climate catastrophe? Because at what point do people just think, oh, good, nothing matters. And, you know, you turn everybody into climate nihilists.
0: Right. It's... How far are you from being a climate nihilist? I mean, honestly,
1: I used to rail at the boomers who were like, "Well, I'm going to die before this happens," um, and I don't have that option because I'm not going to die before this happens. No, but you'll you'll be pretty old. That's <laughs> true. I'll be. In, I mean, honestly, I'll be insulated by privilege from the worst consequences. Oh, I thought you were going to say and insulated like, by a bubble of plastic. I am building a giant plastic bubble around my neighborhood, of course. Yeah, and I would, if I were you, I don't want to say specifically why but if I were you I would start on that
0: today The problem is I only have I only have driftwood and <laughs> laurel leaves to work with so um
1: but yeah anybody with kids like you become a climate nihilist cuz you're like oh, what have we done The uh I you know I guess I still have the utopian star trek kid in me who is like you know when our backs were to the wall we came up with vaccines in a year and I mean, that's not strictly true. We got lucky with mRNA, but.
0: I definitely am a Dr. Seuss scientist because I always believe that a small creature with a very flourishing mustache and a tuft of hair <laughs> will invent a machine. Exactly. That goes jug, 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 and turns all pollution into. It's got two kid
1: gloves on the end of its that's, machine pipes. That's right.
0: And it reaches out and grabs all the microplastics and it combines them and turns them back into Coke bottles. Yes. So I'm counting on the Dr. Seuss universe to solve all all climate
1: problems. There is some micro science project like that, right? Didn't some kid yeah. invent some little Roomba that goes around the the, the harbor of Dubai and, and picks up all the gunk?
0: And then a thousand years from now, they'll be like, Ah, oh, the oceans are full of these little Roombas. Yeah, it's Wally. <laughs> That's the plot of Wally. I think. <laughs> uh,
1: the thing about the the Point Nemo is that is the clearest seawater on Earth. Despite, I mean, hmm. the the yachtsmen of the ocean race were, were having much worse readings, you know, in any other harbor. These but guys. Uh, these guys. But the, it's the clearest seawater on Earth as a result of uh, the South Pacific gyre. You know, the Coriolis effect and the trade winds make for a big counterclockwise spin, which is what carries the garbage patch around the Pacific Ocean. But in the middle of that, you have an eye of the hurricane. And that's Listen Point Nemo. <laughs> Listen
0: to yourself
1: turn. Listen to yourself turn. And that's Point Nemo, basically. Oh, oh. Like, uh, there's no land there to produce any organic material. And other, and right. the nutrients don't get in because they're just getting swept around. They don't actually come in from the outside. Oh, right. So it's actually kind of a weird lifeless area where the water stays clear and there's nothing to feed on it. You know, no food chains get created because there's not even... There's so little of even the lowest level stuff getting through the, the whirling... Whirl, the so, twirling whirl. So no fish, no
0: sharks, no... Comparatively
1: few, yeah, oh. fish or sharks. That did lead to questions in 1997 when Point Nemo was also the site of what is still called the bloop. Are you familiar with the bloop?
0: <laughs> I love that word, bloop, but I didn't know it was a, a noun. I always thought it was an onomatopoeia.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes some of us have a bloop and then we have to go change our undies. Sure, but like a bloop... This is
0: the bloop like with the capital V bloop, capital capital B. There's
1: only been one capital B. What is the bloop? NOAA hydrophones in 1997 picked up a crazy sound that lasted for a full minute and was heard 3,000 miles away, and immediately there were a million theories.
0: And when you say NOAA, you don't mean N O A H. You Sorry. mean N O A A. I mean the
1: National Oceanic and
0: <laughs> Atmospheric, Atmospheric Administration. administration? So, but when you said no, I was like. Is this another one of these guys? Some guy named Noah. Noah's hydrophones. It was Yannick
1: Noah. Point Noah. So Uh, they heard a bloop that lasted for a minute? A full minute. You can hear it 3,000 miles away through the the ocean. And that's the question. You know, immediately all the paranormal people have theories. Cryptozoologists. And even the scientists can't agree because it doesn't seem to – is it a volcano it, could it be something military? is somebody blowing stuff up or launching new kinds of s- propulsion drives? Did it sound that we don't know about like bloop <laughs> what? Blue. I mean you're hearing it through water. I, I don't know if it sounds like Blue. Ellen DeGeneres speaking whale um, but of course all the um you know, this is the the deepest, most mysterious island free part of the ocean. Of course, a lot of the discussion comes to center on sea monsters what what I is down there what kind no, of kraken is making a noise that we have never heard before and sadly you're going to google this and you're going to find that in the last 25 years there's been a pretty boring scientific consensus or cover up if you will
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that what they're hearing is just uh, i think the word is cryosism
0: oh cryosism
1: i see. you ever have our, you ever have a cryosism I'm in your lower one back right now it's a uh, basically it's an earthquake but in ice it's an ice quake it's uh, caused by Calving or fracturing, or why is that not a, a record album? Icequake, Icequake. Boom, it could be called Cryo Sizen, that could be a prog band. Cryo <laughs> Sizen, mm-hmm. So, we think the bloop was nothing, and they're not there are not ginormous sea monsters at the we bottom of Point Nemo. I think the
0: bloop was nothing.
1: I speak for the scientific community here,
0: John. I speak for the trees.
1: <laughs> you're, a, you're a Dr. Seuss guy with a mustache and a tall hat. Um, but the other, so despite the fact that nobody goes to Point Nemo except for Seven Dopes in Yachts and their uh, underpaid crews.
0: That would be a great Dr. Seuss book. Seven Dopes in Yachts. Seven Dopes The Seven Dopes.
1: Uh, it is to the other part of the scientific community. Point Nemo is basically the center of what's called the South Pacific Oceanic Uninhabited Area. Do you know why you want a big uninhabited circle of the largest possible circumference in the South Pacific?
0: You can finally stand on the deck of your ship naked and no one's going to see you. I'm the king of the world. (laughs) Uh, Why would you want a place where there was nothing? We're not not testing nukes there anymore. To have an under-ocean UFO base?
1: (laughs) That's essentially it. The answer is, in fact, spacecraft-related, John. Uh, but it's a spaceship cemetery. Oh, sure. A Skylab crash zone. This is where you're going to dump all your Skylabs and your mirrors and whatnot. Uh, You you know, the margin of error is not, you know, most things in space, if they're small, they will burn up on reentry. But when it's something the size of, of say, your Skylab or your international space station, it's not going to burn up no matter what, how shallow a trajectory you give it it's gonna dump chunks on <laughs> earth <laughs> dumping chunks
0: that's first what you, these guys are all about first you got a bloop and then if you're not careful you dump chunks so did all the chump dunkers the 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 chunk the d- dump dumpers of nasa and and uh, uh various the and, soviets. And, yeah the soviets did they they had to n- were they just sending stuff down there because no one would complain, and then later on they discovered that there was nothing there? Or, <laughs> well, they knew there was no land there.
1: I mean, right. you don't have to have uh, Hervoye Lucatella's computer to tell you this is a thousand miles from any island. But, the, you least. know, they,
0: they were testing nukes places where yeah, there I mean, were definitely people living. <laughs> they had
1: to move people, and then they just moved them to the nearest island. Yeah, where, where it felt Where they, like could, where they had, would have a nice
0: view of the mushroom cloud. They were just doing it because they those people didn't have— uh, didn't have contracts with anybody. There's
1: definitely a level of there is no jurisdiction down here because today that includes there's no environmental jurisdiction down yeah, here. No government can tell us to stop dropping spaceships here. And this is a, could be, a, there's very little research on what kind of ecological threat this could be. Like we know that um, some of the rocket propellants in these spacecraft survive reentry, which means you're dumping hydrazine into the ocean, which is not good for sea life. People have been
0: doing that for 300 years though.
1: And some of them have radioactive fuel sources? Do they? I Are we dumping nuke nuke powered
0: rockets? I don't know how hot
1: it is. Did but you yes. have nuke
0: powered rockets?
1: I think there is I mean not rockets but that's the that's essentially the battery oh, of a I lot see. of this orbiting stuff. Right right
0: okay got it. Got it. Um we're dumping uh, it's a we're, chunk of luminous uh, watches down there.
1: Yeah, basically. You yeah. got a chunk of I'm going to say a made-up thing, and then people are going to complain. Yeah, that's fine. I'm going to say there's a chunk of thorium now at the bottom of the ocean, and fish are, like, licking it.
0: Yeah, licking a chunk of thorium. Please
1: write me and tell me it's americium or cesium or something, but I'm telling you right now,
0: I don't care that much. It says right here that 2 million tons of hydrazine were used in foam-blowing agents in 2015 alone. Highly toxic. Used as a foaming agent. And we're just making
1: those little S-shaped packing peanuts? Yeah. And
0: then just dumping them in the ocean? Uh, It's a precursor to polymerization catalysts. Oh, boy. So that's what we're doing with that stuff.
1: Between 1971 and 2016, the combined space agencies of Earth, uh, ESA, Russia, Japan, China, NASA, have dropped 263 spacecraft in or around Point Nemo. Are you kidding? So it is a cemetery. If 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 satellites have ghosts, they are spooking it up. Oh, at Point Nemo.
0: Well, what's happening is the UFOs that are under the ocean there are collecting all that stuff and building uh, nanobots.
1: They're, these are include gigantic. Like that's where Mir is. That's where most of Skylab went, I think, uh, or at least parts of it. I don't. I I I didn't follow the size oh, Skylab of Skylab
0: went into Australia.
1: Australia got a big. Over land, Australia got a big dump of Skylab. But I don't know if... I mean, it broke apart high enough that...
0: Big dump of Skylab.
1: Six different Soviet solute um, stations and all the cargo transfer things that went up and dropped off whatever and then... Fell back to Earth? Just fell. They all end up in Point Nemo. And uh, in January of 2031, it's just been announced that that's where the International Space Station will...
0: Oh, we'll come to rest. of
1: course, we're sending the big one down. Hubble Space Telescope someday. I mean, we just don't have any place else to put this stuff. So Point Nemo, once the most far away and uninteresting and arbitrary point on Earth, like mathematically, literally the least interesting point on Earth, is now uh, a spaceship magnet. It's basically the Smithsonian <laughs> Institution. We just did, <laughs> We just yeah, it's the Air and Space Museum. We just did like, what, an hour and 10 minutes on the most boring place on Earth.
0: <laughs> And that concludes Point Nemo. Entry 958.jb3826. Certificate number 49394 in the omnibus. Futurelings, you're almost certainly listening to this program from your homes under the ocean at Point Nemo. In converted fallen satellites. That's right. In a in a in a basically a mega city made out of old mirrors. Uh, and we appreciate your patronage, and we're glad to have finally gotten around to talking about the mega city of the future.
1: This was a suggestion, by the way. Speaking of patrons, Point Nemo was suggested by Angus. Uh, a Thank pa- you, Angus, a Patreon donor at the washing bear level.
0: We love to hear from uh, from people out there who think of themselves as either a member of these guys or people that really work for oceanography oceanographic organizations. What is that? Oceanography organizations. Ocean-type outfits. Or billionaires who have big sub submarines of their own. If you have a big super yacht, I want to take John and me to Point yes. Nemo. Hello. Thank you.
1: John will play a show, and I will uh, read on the deck.
0: I'll be the first musician to play a show at Point Nemo. We'll be the first podcasters to record an episode at Point Nemo. This song's called The Bloop. Two, three, four. <laughs> bloop. 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 Um, I, I, I don't see how anyone listening to this show that has a mega yacht doesn't want to take us down there. I think we do. We do two episodes a week, four episodes a week about the stuff we encountered along the way. We'd win Pulitzer prizes.
1: Yes. Uh, we would well, except we won't encounter anything on the way. That's the problem.
0: No, there's always there's something. Like, there's always some plastic like floating in the ocean. Sixteen hundred miles of nothing, <laughs> by definition. Once a week, we would pull a Nike shoe <laughs> or a doll or a piece of a Mir space station yeah. out of the ocean, and we'd do a show on it.
1: Yeah, it would be like uh, what's the show? The the, the unseen. The hundred percent, ninety nine percent invisible. Yeah, ninety nine percent invisible on the high seas. Hey, look, it's a Cabbage Patch Kid head.
0: Yeah, hey Ken. Today's show is about a thing I saw in the night sky. (laughs) Um,
1: That's what podcasts were for hundreds of years—just some Danish dude being like, "I saw a light in Orion last night." And six six weeks later, some dude in Saint Petersburg is like, "I too saw the light in
0: Orion." (laughs) I tried to turn lead into gold again today. (laughs) Uh, You can find all of this exciting uh, mid-ocean podcasting at the Omnibus Project. On uh, all the places it is, you can watch our adventure by going onto social media. I might even rejoin Twitter. Don't to, do it. To t- <laughs> to tweet from mid-ocean. Only if you're
1: in the super yacht. Because
0: I wouldn't be able to see the replies. Plus, you're outside any uh, governmental jurisdiction. At uh, at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick. You can email us, and we'll get it via satellite at the Project at gmail.com. Um, you can socialize with other futurelings by putting futureling into whatever search engine you like, put it into Bing, see what comes up, put it into the,
1: the one that paranoids use duck, duck, go,
0: put it into yeah, the duck duck, it go. Into duck, duck, go then and see the, what happens. And the NSA can't find, follow a uh, you or us. You can actually help feed us, uh, because presumably the billionaire who loans us his yacht will, um, do you think he'll give us a per diem or a buffet? I bet you there's great food on those things but you and I are both gourmands. So <laughs> <Sure>. uh, <laughs> halfway across the water we'll be like this again. Uh, you can you can help pr- promote the Bliller them. You can <laughs> you can help support the show and and uh, at a certain level the washing bear level you can suggest a show like the one we did today by going to patreoncom Project and uh, joining as a supporter. And then finally you can actually send us mail. And this mail will be forwarded to Point Nemo. But you send the mail to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Ken, did you just open some mail?
1: Is that what I heard? I did. Should I do this now? Or, uh, like, so. this show's already long. Isn't it's long. But, will, you know, will, here we are. Will the Thursday show be shorter? Should I save it two days?
0: No, I think you should do it now. I think you should just go for it. You know, we're always trying to get the shortest show, but also sometimes you just have to go for the longest show. I, I don't think I can beat the Grosser record, and I don't want to, particularly. <laughs> what is that, an hour and 30 minutes?
1: This is our first ever note from Japan, which means it must have oh. cost like 10 times as much to mail it to us as it did to uh, purchase it. Thank you to... Uh, Kanichiwa. Thank you to Clark, that classic Japanese name. Mm-hmm. Clark... Uh, Sent us little tiny die uh, diecast vehicle, the the Japanese equivalent of Hot Wheels. Super cute. This is um, they're matching too. This is a red van, which would be iconic in in uh, Japan because this is their version of the uh, U.S. Postal Service Grumman LLB. Oh,
0: here, toss me one.
1: This is the Japan Post delivery vehicle.
0: It's Adorbs.
1: A, I mean, this is not actual size, but they are kind of tiny to make them more gas-efficient. They also have motorcycles. But They're he, Suzuki's. He couldn't send us one of those. Adored. Why could he not send us a motorcycle? now nah, he, he looked for a model of one and couldn't find it. Send us oh. a real motorcycle, Clark. Would the, I kill you? How cute is y- this? You're in Japan. You're obviously doing okay for yourself.
0: You know, I'm going to open this and there, thereby take away the original packaging so the value of it just fell.
1: But. I think we need to know if Clark is some millionaire expat who should be sending us motorcycles or if he's just some... Guy teaching English lessons because he likes anime.
0: He's a guy that that was teaching English lessons, and then he met met a a Japanese girl, and they got married, and now he speaks fluent Japanese and is going to live there the rest of his life.
1: Please send us photos of your beautiful Amerasian children.
0: Oh, Uh, this is the cutest little thing. Look at this thing. It's it's a perfect little hot wheel. It's 157th scale. Oh, now now I will never get bored. Apparently,
1: there is a very long story of the kind of tea-like logo. Oh, and the back
0: opens, Ken. On the Look
1: side of the postal van, which dates back to 1885. It's a very modern-looking logo for 1885. I think it used to be a Roman alphabet T standing for Teixin show which is the Ministry of Communications and Transportation. Um, yeah. But then the T got changed to this T with a horizontal line above it. And it's possibly a pun. The Japanese word for two lines, Nihon, sounds very much like Nihon, the Japanese name for Japan. You're having a lot of fun over there and no one can
0: see, but everyone can hear. Well, because the little van has, I've given it a, like a hot rod horsepower motor. So it's drifting now. It's like a little drifter van.
1: What uh, What city would you say that drift reminds you of, John? Is that Is that any particular municipality kind of drift?
0: Hmm. Is it a Tokyo
1: drift? Yep. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Can't say it's not. No, I'm doing it on the streets
0: of San Francisco. <laughs>
1: this would be... actually my truck delivers the mail in Hokkaido. I'm doing oh, like
0: a Hakodate drift. I feel like this uh, would be like one of those JDM vehicles that. You would see if we lived in California and people actually had a car culture. Every once in a while up here, I'll – you know, what's popular right now is vintage Japanese fire trucks.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: Somebody's importing them to Seattle, and I keep seeing, you know – I've seen a few, and I'm like, what Hipster mustache kids that are meeting on Saturdays, and they all are driving like 40-horsepower Japanese uh, fire trucks that still have all their hoses and stuff on them. Uh, but you know they can't go on the freeway cuz they're too slow but i bet you in california there are people that put like 400 horsepower suzuki motos in these things and and uh and i don't know ground effects light shows this is so nice clark thank clark, you so much awesome if in
1: fact you are a high ranking executive for union carbide though please send me a motorcycle
0: yeah i mean right if if that's true well i'm kind of in the i'm kind of in the austrian motorcycles scene right now But you could say, oh, no, send me one of those Honda Africa Twins, those new ones. I would ride that all around the world. You've got a shopping list.
1: (laughs) Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final bloop. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry— in the Omnibus.